let's celebrate those big bums. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Geordie. How are you? I'm all right. How about you? I'm great. I don't know if you can see, but I'm back in the robe. Looking good in the hood. The robe with the hood. (laughs) In the Terry Tarling robe. So, Michelle, here we are. You're Michelle and I'm Geordie. And anybody listening to us right now, well, you're eavesdropping on our conversation. But actually, (laughs) we don't mind, do we, Michelle? No, we love it. We encourage it. (laughs) We do, because that's what it's all about. That's right. We also encourage our eavesdroppers to get behind us. We've got loads of things coming up, including a podcast award. Yep. So we don't know if we're actually going to get through or not, but if we do, we'll give you all the information so you can vote, vote, vote for us. We need to be nominated first, but once that happens, we will be (laughs) putting the screws on, so to speak. Yeah. (laughs) We also encourage you to, if you love what you hear and you want more, 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 we'll give you more, but only at Patreon where you have to pay a little bit of money. Not very much. You can give us a tip even. You don't have to commit, but we will be providing you with more content and eventually merchandise from Patreon and that address is www.patreon.com forward slash eavesdropping. Is that right, Michelle? Yes, I think it is. Did I actually get it right? You did. Well done. (laughs) I can't remember words anymore. They've all gone out of my head. I literally can't remember anything. I actually had a wild weekend. Oh. Drank way too much. Blimey. I actually feel like I've lost a lot of brain cells. All the ones that were left. Yeah, all the good ones, all the ones that were that actually meant something, I, they've gone. I, I forgot my suitcase, I forgot this and that and the other. It was, yeah, terrible. Well, I won't be inviting you to join my pub quiz team, that's for sure, Michelle. You'll be a, just a waste of space. I'm a liability. What's worse, I've never been good at pub quizzes because I've never had any memory. Uh, so let's talk about stuff, Michelle. What's interesting in your life right now? Absolutely nothing. Really? You just said you went out and had a great weekend. See, I can't remember. I can't remember what's good in my life. That's an issue. No, everything's good in my life. I was just thinking more about you had tantalized me with a, a shout out. I've got a friend here, a friend of both of ours from Australia. Her name's Ren. Now, Ren spent many years in LA and then she moved back to Australia, which I've always found fascinating because obviously I have spent numerous years in the UK and have never moved back to Australia since I was 19. So that to me is very interesting. Mm. Ren, though, while she's been here, she's been making that famous cheesecake that we used to sing songs about way back when we were teenagers. (laughs) She was famous. She'd come around to our group houses with her cheesecakes and tiramisu's. Oh, my God. And she's been making them here and teaching my little boy how to make them, which is even better because that means when she goes, I've got a little sous chef there who knows how to make all this stuff. Fantastic. Amazing. But Ren actually likes things that are macabre. And she also likes to laugh as well. So she's been regaling me with a lot of stories. Oh, crazy ones? Well, ghosty stories and (gasps) macabre stories. She's given me loads of extra places for us to research. It's never ending. It's fantastic. She's a font of knowledge. I'm I'm excited. I'm yeah. excited to hear what's coming up. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, what Ren did for me this week is she assisted me with the research. So there is a massive shout out for Ren and possibly Ren might need even her own jingle at some point because 
She's completely helped me shape this episode. She's also gone and asked friends of hers for stories. And I'm going to tell you some of those in a minute. She's just been brilliant. So this episode is brought to you on behalf of our new researcher, Ren. Irena Kane. Oh, so, amazing. Yeah. I'm I'm really excited. Well, she told me a story about when her dad passed away. Now, like Ren, I have just cared for my father-in-law, as you know, who died last year after a two-year long bout of, or would you call it a bout? I don't think you'd call dementia a bout. I've had a bout of dementia. I don't <laughs> think that's how it works. He had dementia and eventually succumbed last year while I was with him, my kids, myself, my husband, whose father it was. Now, when Ren was in the very same boat and as he died after his dementia, she was holding his hand at the time. But in the, I think, days, weeks after her father passed away, she was in the family home. So remember, she'd moved back from LA to Australia to be there for dad Mm. as he had his dementia. Eventually, she started getting a little tap on the window in the morning. She'd look out and it was a little black bird. She thinks it's one of those Australian, native Australian, like mini magpies. Now, magpies are different in Australia because they're black and white. I think here they're black in the UK. She called it a peewee and I'm not 100% sure what it is. But this little tiny black bird would come and sit on her bedroom window. Tap, 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 tap every morning. Yeah. After a while... And she'd never seen it before. Didn't do it to anybody else in the family. So after a just while, her. just her, after a while, she started saying, oh, hi, dad. How are you doing today? <laughs> like she'd start talking to him just like it was yeah. it, it was her dad. And it would come right up to her and her son, who would be in the room with her daily. She was utterly convinced that it was her father. We've talked about this before, haven't we, Michelle? on previous episodes. Absolutely. And this is actually something that, you know, I'm a big fan of Abraham. And Abraham has talked about the dead comeback in animal form and very often as birds. And in fact, around this time last year, I was in Cape Verde. And I don't know why, but I just had this very strong feeling that every morning when we were out having breakfast, this bird that would come on our table and scavenge all the croissant scraps... I felt that it was Andreas's grandfather and grandmother. I kept saying every morning, hi, Uno, hi, Maiken, how are you going? I don't even know where that came from. So I believe Ren when she just spontaneously was like, that's dad. I do. I just, I think there's something in that. There's a lot of cases and people talking about feeling that they have been visited by a passed over loved one in the shape of a bird. Yeah, we have talked about that before. And also, we've talked about having our own forms of visitations. We had both had a plague last year, didn't we? I had a plague of moths in my pantry. You had a plague of ants in your garden, was it? Your garden? Yeah, it was in the garden. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So animals, you know, they've, they've got a lot to teach us. And mm. I think maybe Tamira the modern mystic's got something to say about that. Well, she does because she told us what the moths meant and the ants meant. If you remember, but I wonder if she could, if she's got any thoughts on the bird. Well, we did talk about a bird in a previous, like I said, in a previous episode, because we'd watched that TV program on Netflix, Life After Death, or something like that. Afterlife, not even that. That's Ricky Gervais. That wasn't it. So (laughs) the bird I talked about, the bird that kept coming back, and they said, "This is our mother. This is our mother," and it was coming back and it flew and it sat on their head. 
This reminds me of another story that our Ren told us. She used to work with a man who's an actor. His name is Brian Cox, not Professor Brian Cox. Oh, not the scientist one. And not related to Tom Hardy Cox. (laughs) Nothing to do with him, the famous British actor who played Charles Bronson, the, the murderer. And he's in Peaky Blinders as well, oh, which yes. we talked about a few few episodes ago. Yeah. So he's married to a lovely lady called Nicole Ansari, who gave permission for us to tell this story today. So she had a very oh, similar story to Ren's. When Nicole's dad died, and it wasn't that long ago, she told Ren a very similar story. Her dad, who was Iranian, and it's traditional in Iranian culture for the body to be lying out, very similar to the Irish way. They're lying out and the family will visit and say their, okay. pay their respects, say goodbye while the deceased family member is lying there, open, not open coffin. I think they're probably just lying in bed. I don't know. I have no idea. Anyway, the family yeah. were paying respects. And I think Nicole and her mother and other family members may have been there. Maybe it was just Nicole. But before her dad died, Nicole asked him, please, dad, show me a sign from the other side. Show me that, you know, you've passed on it, that you're safe. And that, think, and that you're okay. Mm, yeah. I think Nicole has beliefs in that, in that realm as well. So as they were sitting with dad in the time after he passed away, a little Robin Redbreast, not native to, I think it was Germany. I think Nicole's from Germany and, her, okay. and she has Iranian family, not native to the area, flew in through the window and sat between photos. Like this bird came inside, number one. That's weird. <laughs> Number yeah. two, it sat between some photos that were in the room of Nicole's grandparents. So her dad's parents, her mother and father, the bird sat between them. So she's As thinking, if to say, I'm, I'm the son here. Exactly. He's yeah. sitting there. The little birdie's sitting there. Then the bird flew onto her deceased father's head and sat there. What? Oh, mm-hmm. my God. Oh, <laughs> Holy shit. And she is completely convinced that he's showing these. You wanted a sign? Here it is. Here it is. Here (laughs) it is. I don't think you can get clearer than that. I mean, if you believe in that. And it's comforting. It's comforting. So why wouldn't you believe it? If you want to believe it, I say go ahead. I mean, she asked for a sign. She got a sign. I mean, I'm sorry, but when birds come in through a window, they are normally completely freaked out. They're... They're hitting windows. They're hitting their heads on ceilings. They're very disorientated. This bird made a beeline, went between two photos, yep. went on the dad's head, boom. Boom shakalak, exactly. So isn't it a wonderful wow. story? So I'm going to say a big shout out to Ren, our resident this week's researcher, and to Nicole Ansari, who as of this month, I think is appearing at the Here Art Centre in New York in a play called Seven Minutes by Stefano Messini, who did the Lehman trilogy. Is it Lehman or Lehman? How do you say that? Oh, I don't know. Lehman? Lehman. Lehman. It's it's playing here, I think, at the moment in UK. And she also has a web series you can see on YouTube called Messy that she directed and won some awards for. So everybody go and check that out. Her name's Nicole Ansari. And here's for you, Nicole and Ren, your shout out. Shout out. You're getting a shout out. Absolutely amazing. Oh, I'm thank you so much, Ren, for getting involved. It's been a long time since I've seen her. So hi. Hi Ren. Hope you're listening. So speaking of Spooky Ookies. 
spooky ookies. I've got a story for you. <gasps> and look, it actually connects back to an episode that we did before. Episode 20 in season two, where oh. I talked. Yeah, where I talked about the case of Betty Cornish and how a psychic called Psychic Nancy Weber helped the police unravel what happened to her back in 1987. And if you missed the episode, basically, when Betty was found bludgeoned to death in her bed and the police had literally no suspects, Psychic Nancy stepped in, told them the name of the killer, where he lived, where the murder weapon was. It was amazing. So if you want to go back and listen to that episode, it's episode 20. Nice so one. So I dug around because I have another case that oh. Nancy was involved in. <gasps> and this time it's, it is the case of Amy Hoffman. And look, it's not too gruesome. It's a bit gruesome. But, you know, I think we should do the obligatory trigger warning. I know because we always get in trouble for not doing it early enough. If you don't like people dying, if you don't like death and murders, well, don't listen to the fucking podcast for one. <laughs> <laughs> If you don't like poo, you know, we have taken that into account. We have reduced the amount of poo. I know, but you did say poo-poo and wee-wee last week. Did I? When we were, when we were talking about blue eyes. <laughs> anyway. Blue eyes? Yeah. Oh, blue eyes. Coming down. <laughs> Not blue eyes. <laughs> blue yes. eyes. Poo-poo and wee-wee. Can't poo-poo you take... and wee-wee. It's all right though, isn't it? <laughs> I was just laughing like... What, are we in kindergarten? Anyway, it's, it was funny. Yes, we are, Michelle. We are in kindergarten and that's how it's going to stay every day. Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> so with this case, you've been warned. Uh, we are going to go back to 1982 when on November 23, 18-year-old student and cheerleader Amy Hoffman had just finished um, her shift working at her part-time job at a clothing store in the local Morris County Mall, but. She never made it home. You knew, come on, we knew where that was well, going. I, I had a feeling, yeah. So at around 9.35 p.m., she left her job, went to a parking lot at the back of the mall where her car was parked, said goodbye to a workmate before walking to her own car. And that was the last time anyone ever saw her. Now, according to reports, her car was found in the car park with the door open and unlocked with the keys in the ignition. Mm-mm. Apparently, there was a witness who came forward and said, although they hadn't seen what had happened to Amy, they did notice that there was a white male sitting in a green Chevy parked just a few car spaces away from where Amy's car had been parked, just sitting there, hanging out in his car. So for the next two days, the police searched for Amy and any sign of that green Chevy but the leads went cold. And and I'm just going to, you know, preface this by, you know, this was in the days before there was a joined up database of car registrations. You know, this is 1982. So you couldn't just punch in a car make and model and colour or whatever and get well, a load they of do. matches. Go to the manufacturer and call them what? and say, give me a list of all of the, manu- of the cars manufactured between 1952 and 1986. Yeah, but even that won't really get you many matches. I mean, potentially, but you can sell a car on, you know, so Mm. it has to come down to registration. Right. And, you know, then you would have to ring up every individual car registry. Oh, God. And that that is city by city, state by state. In a massive country like the United States, that's going to take some time. So, you know, I get why those leads don't come to much. 
And in fact, like the leaves were pretty thin on the ground for this case. And the people of Parsippany, which is the town. What a great name. I know, Parsippany. They were getting worried. And two days later on Thanksgiving, psychic Nancy, who lives in a nearby town to Parsippany, she got a call from a woman who said, my daughter's best friend has gone missing. Can you help? Right. And Nancy, because I saw a video of Nancy actually talking about this case. Um, Nancy's like on the phone. That's when these visions started to pop oh, up. Straight away. Yeah, straight away. And like I said, I saw these clips on YouTube and she said she kept envisioning a woman's naked body. Mm. Trigger covered in wounds. Mm-mm. When she's talking about this case, I just want to say that Nancy just seems like a really normal person. You know, she's not flashy. She's not wearing purple. She She's not all like Mystic <laughs> Meg. Wait, purple? That's what, like, isn't that what all you oh. know, mystic-y people wear, <laughs> you know? Scarves and purple. That's it. Not like wearing robes and, you know, 25 rings on her fingers. We're not you stereotyping know. here, but... No, what? But what I'm saying is, like, we are the gypsies <laughs> that read the the crystal balls. Oh, that sounds horrible, doesn't it? I don't mean it in that way. I just meant Nancy is like dead normal. She's right. just really Soccer down mom. to earth. No, no, kind of. That's also generalizing. Yeah, she's she's mumsy, but she's older. Great short hair. You know, she just looks. She just looks like she could be your grandma's mate. I don't yeah. know. Like she's like Aunt Gladys or something from down the road. Yes, that's what she looks like. And the thing is, when she's talking about this case, she looks really pained. Like her face looks really kind of traumatized oh, to be talking no. about it. And you just kind of get a sense of trust. You really want to believe what she's saying. And she said she'd seen this vision of Amy that she was lying in water and she said she'd been violently raped before she was murdered yeah and look to her credit she said to the mom of Amy's friend on the phone look I can't discuss this with you you need to either call Amy's parents or the police and tell them to call me but before any of that could happen later that day same day Amy's body was found at a place called the Mendham Reservoir in a water tank oh So apparently a couple had been walking their dog through the woods and they came across this body floating in the water. And trigger warning, there were a lot of stab wounds to her body. Post-mortem reports say there were some of those stab wounds made even after she was dead. So it's just horrific. This is why I always panic when I go for a dog walk in the woods. Oh, Geordie. Oh, you. I always worry that I'm going to see something I don't want to see. Oh, what's that? I don't want to see it. Actually, walking to the train station yesterday, something caught my eye. And on a piece of cardboard laid out was a dead fox. Oh, who did that? Is that. Were they collecting it for the council to come and grab? I don't know. I don't know. I hope no one saw me because I jumped in the air, screamed, and ran up the road. Oh, well, my neighbor's cat, you know, was killing a bird and I was watching it happen and I was screaming at, at the stop. Like, no, it was too late. It's yeah. horrible when you see animal it deaths. Is. Yeah. It's, you just feel so helpless anyway. At least you didn't see a foot. 
No, all this woman's body floating in a in a reservoir tank. So does that mean that's the town water? I don't want to think about that. Okay. But could have been. Yeah. But it was in a pretty remote spot. Those things need lids. Let's just say Nancy was right. Okay, let's just leave it at that. Let's say I don't want to talk about that <laughs> tank anymore. Let, let's just say Nancy's vision was like on the money. Okay. So th- the thing is that I think at this point, Nancy must have been helping the police with other cases because apparently she was really well known to the police at this time. And there was a guy called Detective Bill Hughes who knew Nancy but had never kind of, I don't know, rated her psychic ability or been involved in any cases that she'd been involved in. But on this day, because he was involved in Amy's case, he thought, I'm just going to drop in on Nancy and just for a coffee, not ask her about anything. but Intriguing. Yeah, I think with the thought that let's see if Nancy, you know, drops any little nuggets into the conversation, just off the cuff. And Mm -hmm. then Nancy, while having this coffee, says to Bill, I read the newspaper account of the Amy Hoffman case. Why are they lying about it? So apparently the police had reported that Amy had been found but that she had not been sexually assaulted and there were no visible wounds on the body. Mm-hmm. And Nancy was like, Bill, she was raped and mutilated. Like, her body was destroyed. And Bill's like, well, investigators think there wasn't any sexual assault. But Nancy was adamant that Amy had been raped. Mm-hmm. And apparently the police had thought this because, and this is, again, trigger, her body was so badly cut up that there hadn't been any initial visual evidence that she'd been sexually assaulted when they were at the scene. And so that's why they said it to the press. But what they actually later found out, and I don't know if this was at the insistence of Bill or not, but Nancy was right. Amy had been sexually assaulted by the killer. And this was after the police had done forensics on the body. So I I don't know the, the timeline of that, but yeah, Nancy was spot on. So at this point in the video, Nancy then explains that she never asks to be involved in a murder case. She just waits to be asked because when it comes to her visions, she says it's really important for everybody, including the victim, to be okay with her having kind of some kind of participation in the case. And she also seems really humble because she says she's just one ingredient in like the whole case so she's never trying to take sort of credit or money so I I think that gives her some credibility this police officer Bill he really wants Nancy to help crack this case so he goes to his higher up like the captain in his squad to say listen we need to let Nancy help because she knew she knew these details that were not reported in the newspaper and Nancy wants to help And she wants to help sooner rather than later because she really has a strong vision that this guy is going to kill again. Right. And she wants to stop him. But 10 days later, Nancy's right because there is a second victim. Yeah. So on December 5 in 1982, 25-year-old Deirdre O'Brien had finished working her shift in a local restaurant, got into her car and was heading home when she was forced off the road and abducted and she was stabbed repeatedly taken to a trucker's rest stop on the side of the road 
was thrown from the car and oh basically left to yeah left to die on the interstate 80 in a place called Alamachi Township so according to reports the police had a feeling straight up that it could have been the same guy because again a green Chevy had been seen right. near the rest stop where Deirdre's body was found and look luckily for the police at this point the killer hadn't been careful and he'd left tire tracks in the mud at the rest stop it's at this point that Bill Hughes thinks I'm going to go back to Nancy and see if she has any anything on this case. So, Officer Bill, he decides he's he's got to rope in one of his like these higher ups. So, Captain James Moore from Parsippany, he is a complete skeptic, but he doesn't shut down the idea when Bill goes to him about bringing Nancy in. Okay. Cuz you know, he's like it's all a bit scammy using a psychic, but then he was like, fuck it, why not? If it sheds light, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he was like, there's nothing to lose. Let's give Nancy a chance. Uh, Officer Bill Hughes and Captain Jimmy Moore, we'll call them Bill and Jimmy. Okay. Uh, they go round to Nancy's place and Jimmy asks Nancy just to repeat what she'd said to Bill about the newspaper article being incorrect when it came to Amy. At this point, he was kind of really impressed with her because, you know, she seemed really down to earth. And he said to her, how do you get this information? And she said, I just see it. I don't know how and I don't know why. But she's like, I really want to help. And I don't want you to give me any information. But I want to go and help you with Deirdre's case. So they went to the scene where of Deirdre's abduction. And at this point, remember, nothing had been reported about what had happened to Deirdre. Mm-hmm. They also took her to the scene, Amy's murder as well. And she said that when they were going down the road, first of all, to Amy's place of like discovery where they discovered her body, they went down a road and she said she could feel she was coming to the end of Amy's life as if the energy of the road just got darker and darker the closer they got to where she was murdered. It was like the road had this really dark energy of anxiety and panic. So they took her first to like the woods where – this reservoir was and apparently there was like 12 acres of woods and they were giving her no clues and she went straight to the spot where Amy was found and she's like that's it this is where Amy was discovered I was actually a bit confused by this when I was watching it because she was talking about this spot on the ground but she'd also said that Amy had been discovered in water so I don't know I don't know if she was murdered and then chucked into the water. Right. But she was like, this is the spot where she was killed. Okay. But it, it transpired with the police and they they agreed. They were suitably yeah. impressed by the information. Yeah. Yeah, they were. And Officer Bill was like, he's on camera saying, yeah, she could have gone anywhere. But Nancy went directly to the spot. Mm-hmm. So they were. They were like, yep, yeah, she's on. And then Nancy's there saying she you know, she started getting all of these visions and she's down on her knees, like putting her hands on the ground and stuff. She said, through her came the last words that Amy said before she died. Chilling. Yeah, she was begging, please don't kill me. And she said the killer was enjoying the murder. Because of this, she said that Amy didn't know how to get through to him just because, you know, like begging all of this stuff was not going to get through to him Mm. because he was just, he was enjoying hurting her and so yeah and then Nancy says she's 
started getting loads of visions. She started going over the visions bit by bit, trying to look for any clues in her mind. After they they left the spot in the woods, Nancy was like, immediately these things started coming to her. And she was like, this guy, the killer, he's of Polish descent. Whoa. Yep. He was born and grew up in Morrisville, but he's been in Florida. He's been in jail for murdering someone, but they've let him out for early parole. And then she's like, his name is James and his (gasps) surname begins with a K. And she's there saying like K, it's something K, she doesn't know what those middle syllables are, but she's like, this guy is sick and he's going to keep killing until he's caught. You know, sadly for Amy, this wasn't like a crime of passion and it wasn't like he'd been stalking her and was obsessed. Wrong place, wrong time. Exactly. You know, he just went to that car park looking for anyone who was Mm. vulnerable. Yeah, really sad. And then Officer Bill and and Captain Jimmy, they were like, fuck, this, this woman knows her shit. And the thing was, she hadn't been brought in officially. They were just doing this off their own bat, talking to Nancy. So they were like, okay, we need to get her officially on board to help with Deirdre's murder. But first of all, they wanted to see what she had. So they took her to the trucker's rest stop where Deirdre had been dumped. She apparently again went right to the spot where the killer's car had stopped. And she was like, I see a truck and I see a trucker. I see a woman being thrown out of a speeding car. She's naked. She's cut. And it's a green Chevy. And then she's like, it's James. It's James who's driving that car. And then she apparently was completely on the money because then she also said this guy James had taken her to the lay-by, which is normally like really deserted. And apparently she was getting these visions that he was kind of pissed off that there was a truck there. And that's why he panicked, threw her out of the car. Now, apparently Deirdre had been thrown out of the car, was naked but and was alive at this point just barely and she had enough strength to like crawl to the trucker and beg for help the the trucker apparently got on the cb radio because obviously this is before mobile phones yeah and he managed to get hold of the police who eventually got there but it was too late deirdre was already dead oh yeah i know really sad bill and jimmy were like fucking gobsmacked because she was telling them stuff that no one could possibly have known because those details were not released to anyone but also no one in the police precincts aside from a handful of investigators knew anything about these details yeah so they were like yeah nancy's the real deal she said she kept getting these visions over the next few days going back to the name james and then she came up with more she's like right he's five foot ten He's slim. He's got a long nose. It's narrow and thin and dark eyes. And then she gets another flash and it's about his brother. And she's like, this guy, he works with cars. I see him working with cars. I don't know if he works there or if he owns a garage, but yeah, that's where the killer got the car from. Okay. And then, and then she gets his other flash where she's like, this guy this killer, he lives in Morris County, which is the next county over. It's coming thick and fast. Yeah. And she's like, all the cops there know this guy. You know, 
he everyone knows this little fucker because he's one of these kids that have been in and out of trouble for years. I actually read a different interview where Nancy had apparently said to the captain of police in Morris County, listen, you've got an officer whose name begins with a C, a surname. And the guy's like a real skeptic and he's like, yeah, right. Well, I've got two officers whose surname begins with C. And she's like, no, this one has a hard C. And he's like, do you mean Costanza? And she's like, yes, that officer has ticketed that murderer. And if you ask him who this guy is, who's been in and out of trouble, he's going to know. The captain was just like, yeah, whatever. Whatever. Didn't act oh. on the info because he was just like, yeah. Thing is, Nancy was 100 on all of this info. She's got the guy's name. She's got a description. But the thing at this point is, Bill and Jimmy were like, fuck, we're going to sound like crackpots if we go. Mm. But we have to. We have to talk about this. It's the strongest lead that they'd had so far. Yeah. Like I said, they went to their higher ups and no one was having any of it. They just didn't want to have a bar of Nancy and they actually tried to take her into the precinct and they wouldn't let Nancy in they're like that woman's not welcome here she was just like come on this guy he's a serial killer he's on the loose and people were starting to freak out with having two deaths the thing is they kept hitting a brick wall and all the time Nancy's like it's a Polish guy you know called James he's in Morris County like go find him so Nancy decided to take things a little bit into her own hands. She decides to get some of her psychic students together and they create this psychic prayer circle. And they say to like spirit, light, whoever, if this is part of the spiritual path that is going to be of benefit to all concerned, please let the killer feel the pain and suffering that he has inflicted on his victims. Literally, She is asking for him to be stopped by being stabbed or cut or whatever he's doing to his victims. Right, right. She's saying, do it back to him. Yeah. Divine intervention. Exactly. Then, that night, a guy gets arrested in Morristown (gasps) because, turns out, a dude had called the police claiming that a dark haired woman had run him off the road. And had stabbed him in the back. Oh my goodness. So the police went round to this guy's house to take a report. And then they were, when they were there, they noticed Green Chevy in the driveway. Oh, so they got him. Bang to right. So they were like, fuck. Okay, let's do some, like, a few checks on this. Totally matched the description of the killer's card. So they called forensics, check out the car. It matched the tire print to Deirdre's murder scene. So, Nancy is on the fucking money. Then, the name of the guy that the who had claimed he got stabbed, James Kadadovich. Wow. His brother was a mechanic. Yes. And he had lived his whole life in Morris County. He'd been in and out of trouble. Mm-hmm. He had moved to Florida. He had been in prison for killing his roommate. And then when he was in prison, he had killed his cellmate. Oh, my God. And they let him out on parole? Well, they he got off the charge because he said it was self-defense. But, uh-huh. yeah, they let him out early. And so that is it. Like, tick, tick, tick. Nancy got everything. Go, Nancy. Oh. The last thing I just want to mention is about yeah. this case. You know, Nancy has this theory that the dark-haired woman 
was actually her spirit running him off the road. Oh, so there was no woman caught. No. She was an embodiment of a spirit that all her psychic pals had conjured up. This is what she thinks. I mean, you know, if that's a supernatural twist, that's up to everyone else to decide. But I'll just quickly (laughs) wrap this up saying James was sent down. He went to death row, but his sentence Mm -hmm. was later charged to life in prison. And he is still alive and he's still in prison. Oh, God, Michelle, that was something else. Incredible. So there you go. You know, it's funny, Mish, because I forgot to mention earlier at the top of the show that I did have a close call with death this week. What? What do you mean? I, did. I believe that I did. On oh, Monday afternoon, Ren's here doing a lot of talking. A lot of talking. We talk a lot. <laughs> and... And I decided I'd run out of time. I needed to post something at the post office and I, I work on a Tuesday. So it had to be that afternoon. It was about four or five o'clock in the afternoon and I was exhausted post-COVID. So instead of walking the five, ten minutes to our local post office, you know, the shops, yeah. I got in the car and I drove up there, which took much quicker. So I got there, did my posting, got in the car, came back just outside your favourite bus stop, the lifeline, we call it, yeah. <laughs> was a turned over big black van and on the side of the bus stop and a littler car, like a small polo or something that was also on its side, smashed into a lamppost with a man sitting outside it. Clearly, he's hurt himself. Half his clothes are cut off. He's got a broken leg. The oh other bloke, God. turns out, was out of the car. I'm winding the window down trying to get past it, saying to people who are taking pictures of this, has no. anyone called the police? Has anyone called the ambulance? They're like, oh, I don't know, filming. Fucking I thought, hell. oh, my God. So I went back and I grabbed my husband, who is medically trained, and went back to see if we could help. But, of course, by then there were four or five fire brigade Oh. Uh, fire trucks yeah. and two or three police and they were st- starting to tape up the scene but I did speak to another neighbor who said the next avenue up from us you yeah. know because we, we are one of about four or five avenues that come off the main road yes the next one along this young lad in the little polo had been speeding this guy came out at such a speed he hit the van sending the van onto its side, sending the little polo with the young man who, by the way, I assume he stole the car. He didn't have insurance. He didn't have a license. He didn't claim to own the car. Spun up in the air and landed up on the pavement up against the fucking, the lamppost. That's possibly where I would have been standing. Oh my God. If you had been walking, you could have been hit. How no one was killed, I have no idea. That's that. You were meant to be in the car, not... I was meant to be lazy that day. Yeah, Jesus. For a reason. Because I never would walk to the bloody post office. It's only two minutes. Going back to what I was saying before, I mentioned the wonderful actor Brian Cox. Shout out, Brian. Hopefully he's (laughs) listening. Because he was in that show, Succession, What We Love. We love that, don't we? Oh, he's the dad. That's the dad. Oh, my God. I was thinking, why do I know the name Brian Cox? He's the amazing dad, the scary patriarch. So scary. Incredible. And we love Succession, despite the fact that we have no idea what's actually going on. But we enjoy it, don't we? We We love the characters. They're great (laughs) characters, all of them. Tom Wams, Begams. And, of course, our favourite, which is Kieran Culkin, Roman. I know yeah. he's such a sleazy little lovely skinny thing. Oh, slightly sexy well, in a creepy way. 
it kind of segues into this next story that I'm going to tell because I have just watched, you watched one episode with me on Netflix. It's called Life After Death with Tyler Henry, who looks like Macaulay Culkin. So that's my segue. Slightly awkward. Slightly <laughs> awkward. Tyler Henry is a psychic medium. He's the Hollywood psychic medium. In fact, Michelle, I don't have any murders for you today. I've just got Hollywood psychics. Oh, great. He's got a TV show called Hollywood Medium, also in addition to this life after death. And it's called Hollywood Medium with Tyler Henry. He's written two books on the show that we watched, which is Life After Death. He opens up his books to regular people rather than celebs. So he starts working down his 300,000 people waiting list around the U.S., whilst simultaneously researching his own mother's insane heritage and backstory, which is another thing altogether. Well, I'd love to be on that waiting list. I'd love to have Tyler, you know, give me some inside info. But anyway. I'm sure you would, but you might be waiting a while. <laughs> but let me tell you a little bit about Tyler Henry. He first realised his ability at 10 years old when his grandmother was unwell with cancer. He woke up one night and knew she was going to pass away. And he describes it like a memory that hasn't happened yet and a knowing of what's to come, which I think a lot of psychics say that's yeah. the feeling that they get. So as soon as he mentioned it to his mum, they almost immediately got the phone call that Gran had gone. She gone. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Later on, he noticed that these memories started evolving into visions that would occur at all sorts of inopportune moments, like when he's at school or on a school trip or whatever. And eventually poor little Tyler, who's also openly gay, but maybe wasn't at the time as a child, was bullied. So he had a terrible time at school and he ended up leaving early. And he started working, using his talents as a medium, working above a Chinese restaurant, giving readings. And he actually revisits this Chinese restaurant in the show Life After Death. And he says something about um, smoke. And the next day, and it's filmed, it fucking burned down, Michelle. No. Oh, yeah. God, he's really good, isn't he? As long as no one from his production team went off and like flicked a figgy in the wrong direction. (laughs) Let's let's just say that. Let's just say, yeah. yeah. So his first appearance on TV was giving a reading to a Kardashian. I don't know which one because I don't know about those people. I know they exist. That's about the extent of it. I know they have large derriers and that's great. I've got one. Let's celebrate those big bums. (laughs) Anyway, it was on their reality show in 2015. He was on there. And then after that, the success of that was um, his show Hollywood Medium. He says his sixth sense uses all the five other senses as a way of communicating. So he's primarily clairvoyant, which Uh means clear sight. So that's how he gets his information, which is visually. He feels like he's a blank canvas and that people on the other side paint the picture but if you've ever seen him, he's also scribbling at the time. He, he seems to scribble as he as he does the readings. And those scribbles, you look at it, they actually don't mean anything. He's literally mm. just scribbling, but it's like that enables kind of him to channel. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So he says that the spirits use him to paint these pictures in his mind, but there are times when he physically feels things, like he notices a smell or hears a voice. Okay. And actually quite often after these readings, he's absolutely exhausted and sleeps for ages. And at yeah. the end of the TV show, spoiler, he suffers from a collapsed lung. Right. So it's actually having a really detrimental effect on his health. I, I mean, they do say I'm you concerned. have to get rid of like all the bad juju energy, shake don't you? Off. You have to shake yeah. it off. Yeah. So this is from a, a website called Too Fab. Tyler says, I don't really want to know anything about my client before a reading because I don't want to be biased or have preconceived notions, which must be quite difficult, Michelle, when he's doing celebrities because you're going to know yeah. a little bit of something about them. 
He says, I want to come in as a clean slate. When people see me, I encourage them to really give me as little information as possible. If a medium is authentic, they shouldn't have to ask you a ton of questions. For me, it's really important that I say what I am seeing before I ask any questions. That's brilliant. And his producers back that up by saying, we're very secretive. You know, we don't tell Tyler anything. We never let him know who we, who he's going to read. It's never written down anywhere. Code names are used. And he doesn't know who he's going to read until he opens the door. And that's the reality. Yeah, we saw that. They show a little bit of that on the show, don't they? That he's yeah. like, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm getting a feeling of a grandma or whatever. Mm. Exactly. So in his show, Hollywood Medium, he actually did have a lot of very famous clients. But his most exciting one was Latoya Jackson. For him, he was beside himself and he became very (laughs) starstruck. And he had to work really hard at hearing the messages because, of course, it was her brother, Michael Michael. Jackson. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm I'm all ears. I'm really excited. Well, that's how he responded. He was very Ah. excited. And, of course... He did admit to knowing a little bit about MJ's death because obviously everybody Oh, everyone. The whole world knew. So when Michael came through to Tyler, Tyler had to focus really hard on every single message that was being delivered. So he said, this is what Tyler said. He said there had to be no guessing and no assumptions, which when I heard that, I thought that makes me think that there must be an element of that in the readings that he gives. Clever. But do you know what? Maybe it's about joining the dots you know he he gets information and it's and maybe what he means is instead of having 100% facts he has to sort of take a leap to be able to put the things together I don't know I'm I'm being kind anyway so he had to show he wasn't biased with what he already knew about the case but he was able to tell Latoya the following this is Tyler's words taken from that okay amazing he said He's having me acknowledge, he's talking about Michael, he's having me acknowledge that when it came to his passing and anyone around right before or right after, there's a feeling of someone's story changing. Someone saying, I saw him go through this, this happened. And then their story changes abruptly after. There's a very strong emphasis on this. He's acknowledging that he should not have been left alone. So he's saying that Michael was acknowledged he should not have been left alone at a time when he was left alone. And that's coming in. And that's what he's putting a lot of emphasis on. So he's saying that Michael Jackson felt abandoned in his time of need. He also said, this is Tyler's words, the person who should have been there to monitor wasn't monitoring. And it's like, this is what he's saying, Michael's saying, I trusted you to be there. I trusted the role that you were supposed to have have to help me. And you left. Of all times, you should have been right there. Fuck. No, I wonder if he was meant to have a bodyguard or a minder who was meant to be keeping an eye on him who just fucked off. Yeah. Latoya asked, did something happen when he was abandoned? And Tyler replied, yes. Well, he didn't say yes. He said, I feel like when he was abandoned, that would have been an ideal time for him to to reach 911 to call for help, to try to get help. At this time, he realised something was wrong while he was alone and that's when he was conscious and realizing there was something wrong here. I just don't feel like he had someone to say, hey, I'm having a medical emergency. Something's yeah. happening to Tyler. So after I realized, okay, there's something wrong going on in here. There's this feeling of, oh, this medication kicks in. Sorry, it doesn't make seem to make much sense, but I'm just saying what he said. Word for word, yeah. Word for word. I suddenly become, a, so he's saying Michael feels he's suddenly become affected by this medicine and it all happens very fast. Mm. The Wikipedia page for Michael Jackson's death says he had died of an acute propofol propofol, and benzodiazepine intoxication at his home in L.A. Uh He had a 
personal physician, Dr. Conrad Murray, who said that he found Michael in his room, not breathing, with a weak pulse. So he administered CPR, which didn't work. His security then called 911 at uh, some point and paramedics treated Michael Jackson at the scene, but he was pronounced dead at the hospital. Then what follows was August 28, 2009, the LA coroner concluded that Jackson's death was a homicide because the the doctor, Conrad, had administered these anti-anxiety drugs that killed him and then left the room. So he was convicted of involuntary manslaughter in November 2011, released in 2013 after serving two years. Time off for good behaviour. That was the story. Afterwards, Latoya said... I think what hurts more than anything else is not only was there a need for someone to be there for him, but there was a trusted person, a person that he trusted. She said that twice. A person that was in that inner circle and that person wasn't there. To hear that, it just tears you apart. I wanted to just cry, she said. So Latoya agreed that the stories had changed afterwards. And meeting with Tyler had put a lot of things into perspective for her and Michael Jackson's family. Now... Critics say that Tyler's gifts are merely the ability to use cold and hot reading techniques. Have you heard of those, Michelle? No. This is why he strives to focus on the information that can't be researched or Googled. Things like inside jokes and sentimental pieces of information that only families really know. Mm -hmm. So cold reading techniques are used by psychics, fortune tellers, mediums, mentalists, Think Darren Brown. They get lots of information by analysing the person's body language, their age, their clothing, fashion, hairstyle, gender, sexual orientation, religion, ethnicity, level of education, manner of speech, other key factors. If they're a good empath, they will be able to pick up quite a lot of information just from that. Interesting. During a reading, they'll ask questions with high probability guesses, picking up on the signals as to whether their guesses are in the right arena or not, Mm. and then emphasising and reinforcing chance connections but quickly moving on from anything that was untrue or not right they'll just quickly flip over on that move on move on so psychologists believe that this appears to happen because the subject would quite often whether they realize or not have a lot of their confirmation biases in place yeah a heart reading on the other hand is a technique used when giving a psychic reading on stage mostly so that's when you have information that has been garnered previously by overheard conversations like somebody in the production team might be just listening to people they know where they're going to sit in the audience no one knows that this is going on they're just an usher or just somebody saying oh you can sit here and then listening to them saying oh I really hope that he talked to me about my dead grandmother later on or whatever you know and they'll take this info and come backstage and give it surreptitiously to the the psychic or the person on stage and that person being read won't know so the heart reading is basically charlatan set up yeah, yeah it's, it's a, a set, set up. up okay yeah. going back to our guest researcher this week ren she told me about a medium called fleur medium fleur is her name so if you want to get a reading from someone michelle i think medium fleur would be the one because she's another hollywood psychic but she seems to be the real deal go on youtube have a look okay this is from yeah this is from the daily mail fleur loisink i think she's of dutch heritage but she lives Mm -hmm. in the states previously was a trainee doctor who'd been working and has been working as a medium for the last 10 years but she still feels slightly skeptical about her own abilities right like tyler henry her gifts began as a child and she also saw her great grandmother and great grandfather marie and harry they would often appear to her as a child and just bicker for hours (laughs) (laughs) that's no fun (laughs) 
until eventually Fleur told her mother she would like these two people to stop arguing. Now, this got mum's attention and she asked what the names of these people were. And when Fleur said Mary Che and Harry Kay, that was their nicknames. Mary, Marie was Marietje and Harry was Harikje, and their common Dutch shortenings for their names. Right. At this point, Fleur had not even known their names, let alone their yeah. nicknames. Right. As she grew up, the sightings became less frequent to the point where she actually thought that she had been imagining them. So she went off to uni and studied neuroscience and studied to be a doctor. And like I said, she convinced herself that this was just a phase in her life. Yeah. So during her studies, she became very ill. Doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. And her desperate father decided without any other place to turn, he said, look, I'm just going to book you into an appointment with a psychic. So he did this. And the psychic told her, you are a psychic medium. You're not living your purpose. And if you don't, your body will become very ill and you might die. Wow. You're not doing the right thing here. You're supposed to be doing this, not that. So go off and do it. Body's rejecting what she's doing. So she's confused. She's scared. She's angry. She thought she would put the whole thing to the test. So what she did after that reading was she began to give free readings, which she did so by phone, and the clients were only allowed to answer yes or no. So Fleur would record these sessions and afterwards she would analyse them by scoring herself when she'd listened to the recordings. Every time she got a correct fact, Every fact that she mentioned got a score and the score convinced her because it was so high by the end that she could actually do this. Yeah. She might just be a psychic. So around this time, she wasn't really advertising it, but a a close friend knew and she had come to Fleur and asked if she could help with her aunt who was in a coma in hospital. So Fleur did so reluctantly, but she told the friend that the aunt had a lot of pain in her left lung and it seemed that there were teeth in her lungs. What? Which is a bit... It's a bit queer, isn't it? What, she like now, swallowed the dentures? Well, the, the family of the aunt thought this information was dodgy because the aunt had fallen into a coma due to diabetes that hadn't been properly treated. So no mention of lungs and certainly none of teeth. Yeah. Seemed a bit far-fetched. <laughs> but, Michelle, you were accurate because later it was discovered that when she fell into the coma, she had swallowed her dentures no! and they had lodged in her left lung. No. So you were right. You're psychic. You are the psychic psychic. here. I'm psychic, Michelle. (laughs) Psychic Meech. That's me. (gasps) How do you do it, Michelle? Oh, I don't know. It's a gift. It's a gift. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell. At the start of any readings, Flo will ask if there's anything her clients do not want to know because she learned the hard way in her first year doing a reading for a friend who was madly in love with her new boyfriend. Flo told her, unfiltered she said what you'll date this guy for three years then it'll be finished this Mm. friend didn't speak to her for three years then she got in touch to say they had broken up yep and can we be friends again sorry i'm a bitch (laughs) (laughs) so what fleur does is she likes to get people in touch with their spirit self she doesn't necessarily, I don't think she's religious. I think she thinks of it more of a scientific kind of thing. And I did watch a YouTube with Ren earlier where she was given no information at all. And she was just like taking, she was giving a lot of detailed stuff back and very chatty. And the other lady was just not really giving her anything to go with. She's, she calls herself a channeler or a translator. Yeah. And it was incredible watching her receiving this information from the spirits. As she did so, she'd say thank you and then say the stuff. I'm going to put loads of link to Psychic Fleur in the show yeah. notes because she sounds amazing. But ultimately, Michelle, real or fake, 
does it matter? If these people who are getting the readings always feel catharsis afterwards, how can that be bad? I hear what you're saying, but equally, if it's fake, then you just feel duped. If I went to a psychic and I was like, oh my God, that was incredible. That that person was right on the money. And then I found out that I'd just been, so it was all a bit hoaxy. I, I would feel quite betrayed. So, but would you feel that if you were in the moment getting a reading and they're saying, Michelle, right, I, I see that you wear a white robe an awful lot. I see that you live in the mountains. You know, stuff that they wouldn't necessarily know about you. I mean, if they listen to this podcast, they'd know all of that. I know. But things that maybe they don't know and they said stuff or little things that you had done as a child that you haven't told anyone or nicknames from your mum or yeah, things I, like that. I mean, obviously, you've got a podcast where you tell everybody all of those things. So nothing's going to be sacred if you do go to a psychic yeah if they really want to know they'll find out (laughs) but I think if you have lost say for example the the one the one that we watched Red and I it was a YouTube video of a woman who'd lost her daughter and Mm. it was heartbreaking you could see the pain on the woman's face but she didn't give anything away and Fleur tick 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 got everything yeah where the parents were standing as the daughter went away the final words that were said from the parents how the mother had gone on to help people with the same kind of encephalitis or whatever it was that she had died from. She got it all right. So I'm going to flip that question back to you. Do you think it doesn't matter if it's real or fake? I think if somebody has is experiencing pain of loss and grief. Now, I am, as you know, studying counselling yeah. and currently doing loss and grief. We've just discovered that there is a process. You know, we, okay. we know that there's a process. And if you skip any of the steps in the, in the process, they don't have to be done in a linear way. But if you skip any of the steps, that process is going to take a really long time. And ultimately, you want to not get over the person's death, but you want to be able to live with it. You need yeah. to be able to live with it because you have your life. You need to keep going. You know, you might have children. You might have people relying on you and you need to be present and show up. And for your sake, live your life. So this process is important for that. Mm. of course you're going to miss your loved one but for some who just can't if it's that deep if it's a child if it's you know your soulmate it's going to be difficult so I think if the other ways aren't working or if it's been some years and you the pain is just too much to live with getting a message from them getting an affirmation from them saying mom I heard you say you love me and I love you too And don't you worry, I'm here and I'm waiting. I know it's been years, but I'm waiting for you. When you come, I'll be here and Mm. we can be together again. No matter what you believe in your everyday life or philosophy, whether it's religious or not, then I think that can be a good thing, can't it? I mean, that's what religion is for. Ultimately, it's some sort of hope for us little meaningless human beings in our meaningless little lives. Yeah, I mean, I can see how people will take comfort from that for sure. And I think it's sometimes what triggers people to just be able to move on. I don't know. I still feel like if I knew it was fake, I'd, I'd feel... Well, if it was dodgy. Yeah. yeah. Well, far out. That is absolutely amazing. I love the sound of Psychic Fleur. Thank you so much. And thank you for your horror story about all the murders. It was a horror story. <laughs> it was a psychic detective. But Nancy Webb is amazing. I'll put links to her as well. Wonderful. And thank you to Ren for your guest, your guest research this week. A jingle coming your way, Ren. Indeed, they write themselves. Oh, they do write themselves. Thanks, everyone, for eavesdropping on us. And you've got to remember. Whatever you bloody do. <laughs> wherever you bloody are. Just keep, just keep eavesdropping. eavesdropping. 
Eavesdropping, 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 e